may be seated. Wonderful singing. I had to say one other word there just very quickly. Sorry about that, Scott. Um, I have enjoyed, obviously, the preaching, but also the fellowship. It was an enjoyable time today. Brother Dave comes up to the church, and you just get time to sit and to talk. I learned what kind of RV I'm going to buy in 15 years. It's apparently one that's being built right now. But anyway, the point is, uh, it's just wonderful to have fellowship, and uh, it's wonderful when they pass through and when they're here and and the time with them. I'm thankful for a couple that has remained faithful through the years. There, There are servants of God, and there are people that serve in a capacity And often when you're an evangelist, you come in, uh, Brother Dave is not like this, but there are some evangelists that come, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. That's what they say. And the point is, that's not healthy for our spiritual growth. What Brother Summerdorf has done is give us meat for our soul. And studying 1 Peter and 2 Peter and looking at these things, We are able to take within us the truth of God and then take with us the truth of God as we depart this place. I have enjoyed it immensely. I'm already looking forward to the next time that they can be here. It won't be for a couple years, but started making that plan and that schedule today. Hallelujah for that. That's a wonderful thing, and we've got that on there. But uh, we pray for them as they depart. Uh, Say your goodbyes. Usually they will hang around for a day or two, and I'll get to see them on the back end of it, but they got a 22 skidoo down to pick up their rig. It is fixed, correct? Done Done and ready to go, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, They'll be able to get there and get to their meeting in Michigan, no problem. So the Lord has been good. Uh, There couldn't have been a better church that it happened to, right? So true, brother. Because, uh, well, they're like family to me, but it's, it's easy. It's not somebody that he doesn't know or somebody that... Uh, may not be able to accommodate. Uh, the Lord has provided wonderfully through the church, through your giving. And certainly tonight, we look forward to hearing a final message. So, Brother Dave, if you'll come and preach Amen. your last message for us for the revival. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. And good evening, church family. Good to see you this evening. You know, one thing about a conference, you get everything except sleep. Did you notice that? Yeah, there's a weariness there, but it's a good weariness. Remember, when you're weak, physically... You'll probably be strong spiritually, amen? Uh, Some of you say, no, that isn't what happens. When my sponge gets squeezed, uh, the worst of me comes out. Well, (laughs) spend a little more time with the Lord then, amen? But just want to say thank you. I want to go ahead before I preach tonight. I want to read a thank you note. It's become a tradition of ours. This thank you is from the Summerdorfs. And uh, because we're with the current diesel prices under very strict budget cuts, we save the stamp and we just read the little thing instead, all right? So, so here you go. Dear Dr. Fannin and church family, someone once famously said, quote, the extra mile is seldom crowded. And in a field of pastors and churches, you and your dear folk are truly in that uncrowded extra mile. Many, many thanks for your extremely kind care of us throughout our stay. From the multiple lodging options, rental car reservation to the numerous meals, the sweet fellowship that accompanied them, truly, truly a delight. And a very special thank you to Brother um, and Sister Sweet Frog. All right, it's just how we call you. You all figure out who they are. But we want to say thank you so much. We had a wonderful time tonight. Great fellowship uh, with the Mediterranean meal. Just lovely. Also appreciate so much the numerous individual gifts, handfuls of purpose, notes that we were blessed with, and we cherish the friendships we enjoy with so, so many of you. Special thanks to Sister Pam for all the logistical help with copies, administration, and so on. And a super job to all who were involved in the song service, Brother Zach. From the choir, the special music, and then, of course, the sound system. Brother Scott Drew and Nate Drew. Boy, I'll tell you, he did a good job, brother, in your absence. Amen. Where's that guy? Where's Drew? Drew, buddy, top notch. They had a double your wage around here. As well as the ushers and all who made sure that everyone had the notes for each service. Miss Kathy, great team effort. Many thanks for the financial help for travels. 
the hotel lodging, spur of the moment, the special honorarium, not to mention the additional love gift you're blessing us, us with. Truly humbling, to say the least. We're overwhelmed by your love and generosity. And I did say to my wife as we were heading this way, I said, you know, if I had a church to, as I'm coming into, to break down at, and you literally said it, to break down at and just knowing that people would be loving on you and caring for you and doing whatever they could to help you, this would be the church. And uh, not that I wanted to break down when I came in, but I'm just saying, you guys have just been such a blessing. Already looking forward to our next time together. Until then, may you continue faithful to your King, for He is coming again soon. All our love and gratitude, Brother Dave and Miss Deb, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. P.S. The RV is repaired and ready for pickup tomorrow. And an extra little note, don't forget to keep it between the ditches. Amen? All right. So, Pastor, if you come, I want to just give you these real quickly. I have three sets of blank notes here. And uh, uh, just in case somebody needs them, this is not for you. This is for your wife, oh, Miss Jessica. Yes. And she, was she in the demilitarized zone, Tet Offensive, yes. otherwise known as the nursery? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to be glad I'm not the nursery worker, okay? That's all I'll say. We'd rather have her back there. We'd much rather have her back there, yes. But uh, this is for her. Right. There's a big rope attached. Okay. It's a $50 gift card to Darden Property. And here's the rope. No children allowed to come with. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. All right. And an adult of her choice. <laughs> Thank you. Anytime I say that, it's amazing how well-behaved the pastor becomes until that thing cashes out, you know. But thank you so much. We appreciate you guys. Take your Bibles. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're concluding a series out of First and Second Peter. And tonight is probably, for all the studying I've done, this is probably one of my favorite messages that's come out of the books of First and Second Peter. Notice in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, Knowing this first, Second Peter 3, 3, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Notice in verse 8, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You could just pause and say this, Time means nothing to a God who is eternal. Amen. That's what that verse simply means. Time means nothing. It means a lot to us, but it means virtually nothing to him. But then he goes on to say this in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But his longsuffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now notice the Lord respond in verse 10. To those who would mock the idea that Jesus is coming again. Look at how he says it in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. We said it when we were here three years ago. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again as he promised. And to that point, I want to look at the inevitable conclusion we find here in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, and that is this, the day of the Lord will come. And I want to say we're living where time will be no more. I want to speak to you tonight about the last lap of time. I want to bring three simple thoughts concerning the last lap of time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight. For this great honor to be in your house and with your people, call you our Father and to know your Son as Savior. As we bow our hearts before you, we pray tonight your blessing on the preaching and the hearing of your word tonight. Lord, I pray for the one who is not ready for your Son's return. They're not ready for time to run out. I pray tonight that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior before it's too late. And then for each of us that are saved, Help us in this last lap of time to live how you want us to live and to be what you want us to be. Help us tonight not to be hearers only, 
deceiving ourselves, but by your grace, help us to be doers of thy word and thy will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last lap of time, the inevitable conclusion we find in 2 Peter chapter 3. Three truths. Number one, if you want to jot this in, I believe tonight that you and I are living in the last lap of time. I believe you and I are living in the last lap of time. In other words, these days are different than any other days we've ever This world has ever seen. And you don't need mathematical formulas. You don't need 900-foot visions of Jesus and all kinds of super... In in very clear indicators, the Bible shows us why these days are so different. I wrote them down. You don't need to look them up. You can do it later. But first of all, I see today a technological indicator that's in place. It comes from Daniel 12, 4, that would tell you and me we're living in the last lap of time. Second of all, I see a moral and spiritual indicator in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 20 signs and 20 sins that will be in place when Jesus Christ returns that would tell you and me we are living in the last lap of time. Thirdly, I find in the book of Ezekiel 11 and others as well, a political and prophetic indicator that you and I are living in the last lap of time and these days are different. God has always had a prophetic stopwatch. And the prophetic stopwatch is the nation of Israel. But in A.D. 70, that nation ceased to exist. You say, why is that a big deal? Because when you read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, you find Israel in her land, not as a divided kingdom, Judah and Israel, but a combined kingdom, one nation, being prepared, and she meets her Messiah when he touches down on Mount of Olives. The Jews know those chapters because the wealthy Jews bury their dead on the Mount of Olives. You see all the the tombs up there, that because they know that's where Messiah is touching down, and they want to be first in resurrection. Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 show us nation of Israel regathered to meet her Messiah. And when that day comes, when Jesus touches down, they're going to say, where'd you get your wounds in your hands? He'll, he'll say, at the household of my friends. And Scripture says, in that day, a fountain will be opened for cleansing for the house of Israel. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. He's talking about the Jew that makes it through the hell of the Holocaust of the seven-year tribulation because those who survive meet Messiah on the other side. And it's the closest thing to irresistible grace. As a nation, they'll get saved. But in A.D. 70, that nation ceased to exist. As Titus sacked that place, all the Jews were scattered to Gentile nations, and suddenly that was a land without her people and a people without her land. No one there to meet Messiah. Nineteen centuries come and go. And then on May 14, 1948, that nation is birthed again as a single nation, being brought back in unbelief and being prepared to meet Messiah. And the instant that happened, God's prophetic stopwatch started ticking off the final years before Jesus Christ returns. We are living in the last lap of time. And then fourthly, I see an economic indicator. Go to Revelation with me. There's many I chose four. These are the so obvious ones, but notice in Revelation... With me, Revelation chapter 13, I see an economic indicator that would tell you and me we are living in the last lap of time. These days are different than any other days. Look in Revelation 13 and verse number 16. The Bible says, and he, that's the Antichrist, Revelation 13, 16, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here we see a fourth very clear indicator that we are living in the last lap of time. And it's this, before Jesus Christ returns to set up his kingdom, this world will see a global cashless society. You know, it's interesting, we... We become so adapted to this. Oh, 
we almost yawn when we hear those words. But you understand, when I was a teenager, and don't look at me, I'm not that old. It wasn't that long ago. Software wasn't even a word. If I stood out in front of my grocery store or hometown and said, Hear ye, hear ye. Here in the next decade, we will have a global cashless society. They would have put me in the loony bin. Credit cards weren't even around. Software wasn't even a word. There was no way that was going to happen. But if you stood in front of your Walmart right now and handed out flyers saying, we're never going to have a global cashless society, never going to happen, don't you believe what's being said? They put you in the loony bin right now because we are there. Fox News in 2021 ran an interesting headline in one of their segments. Sweden has now developed an RF chip. It's the size of a grain of rice. It just goes right in the flap of your right hand between your pointer finger and your thumb, and there can be vaccination status on there, your medical records, your bank accounts, everything you want. Man, do you understand? We are on the verge of a global cashless society, first time ever in 60 centuries. Don't look around and say, ah, it's the same old, same old. Don't you believe the line? Every combination, every single one of the tumblers in the combination of Jesus Christ's return are all lined up now. They're all in place waiting for the lever pull of the king to return. My son Kevin, in the midst of the pandemic, he called me, he said, Dad, don't get me wrong. I've always believed the book of Revelation was going to come to pass. But Dad, I could never see how we would get there. But I look around at what's going on and, and, and everything, the global response to this and the lockdowns and all nations walking in lockstep. And Dad, I can see how we will get there. You know what that kid was saying? He's saying what Dad's saying tonight. You are living in the last lap of time. Don't you think you got another 50 years? Don't you think you got even maybe a decade? We are there. It's now. Everything's in place. You are living in the last lap of time. But you know what's sweet about that? Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, well then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh or is near. All of us are living in the last lap, but here's the second point. Many of us are going to get to be leaving in the last lap of time. Write that one down, all right? Many of us will be leaving in the last lap of time. And let me say this, and it needs to be understood. You need to grab this. The last lap is a very special lap. Want to know why? Only the last lap has the finish line. Amen? Only the last lap has the finish line. And for a believer who's alive and remains when Jesus Christ returns, what a finish line. We have. You want to see it? You want to look at it? Go to 1 Thessalonians 4 with me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're all living in the last lap, but some of us that are alive and remain when Jesus Christ returns, we're going to be leaving in the last lap in a very supernatural way. We refer to it as the rapture. Look in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. He says this. He said, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Notice he's, he's talking to believers here. That's what brethren would tell us. Concerning them which are asleep, that would be a saint who dies in Jesus. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Look at verse 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Notice, this isn't some idea of man. This is the word of God. You have God's word on this thing. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, which means precede them, which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be 
caught up. There's where that idea, the rapture comes from. Caught up to meet them, shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And look at this additional little tap. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, everything I see, I could go on and on on all the indicators that are in place right now. But these days are way different. You are living in the last lap of time. But here's the thing. If you're saved and you know Christ is Savior and you're alive and remain when this moment occurs, you're going to be leaving in the last lap of time in a very supernatural way. Amen? You know how fast this, this resurrection moment occurs? It occurs in the twinkling of an eye. What's well, a thought. <laughs> how fast is the twinkling of an eye. Well, it's faster than light can bounce off your eye. Amen? Well, how fast is that? Is anybody, how, how fast does light travel? Does anybody know? Any, anybody? What's that? All right? You can't all be homeschooled. Come on. <laughs> we homeschooled all six. We bought the right to say this one, Okay. 186,000 miles per second. That's faster than some of you drive. (laughs) That means if you took your flashlight right now out under the starry skies, turned it on for one second, one one thousand, if that beam was more powerful enough and didn't hit anything, in that one second that beam went up, it would travel 186,000 miles. You know what that tells me? The twinkling of an eye is faster than you can blink your eye. Some of you are blinking. Faster than the blink of an eye. You ever had a blink of an eye experience? <laughs> See, right now your pastor's wondering why he rebooked, you know, a meeting with me. Where is he going with this thing? <laughs> I remember my first blink of an eye experience. I was a teenager. It was a Friday and... I was in junior high, probably about 13 years old or so. We had a basketball game coming that night, and so all I could look forward to was this game. I couldn't wait to get on the court, but my right side started hurting that morning. And as the day progressed, it just got worse and worse until finally, here I am getting ready to suit up, and I can't even walk. I'm, I'm stretched out in the boys' locker room. Uh, my dad has been called, the coach. They're checking me out, and they found out I had appendicitis. So off to Glencoe Memorial Hospital in Minnesota, Yahyabetsha, I headed, all right, for surgery. I remember I got in there, and I have stitches all over my body, and, but I'd never been put out before. And so they got me all scrubbed up, ready to roll. And the last thing I heard, and the last thing I remember, this, this anesthesiologist, she came to me. She plugged in the, 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 the tube for the anesthetic, put it up there, and she said, Now, young David, I'm your anesthesiologist, and I'm going to be administering the anesthetic. And in just a matter of seconds, once I put it in you, it's going to knock you out. And there'll be nothing you can do to stop that. And I looked at her, and I said, Is that right? She said, that's right, son. I says, oh, no. I'll bet it won't knock me out. Yeah, you just, you had to understand who I'm just that kid, you know. She says, oh, no, it'll knock you out. No way. So I'll tell you what, we'll play a game. She said, when I pull this little pin to let that anesthetic come in your arm, I want you to start counting out loud from 100 backwards by ones. And before you get to 90, it will knock you out. I said, is that right? She said, that's right. I said, game on. So my whole life is, you know, I could die in surgery, but yeah, we're going to go out. This is a game. You know, this is how my mind was. She said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. Are you ready? She says, yes, sir. She says, on your mark, get set, go. And she pulls that little pin. And I start counting. 100, 99, 98, 97, 96. I could start feeling it go into my arm. 95. And between 95 and 94, thunk. I was out, they did their chop suey, and back then they used the laces, they stitched you up, you know. And I woke up in another room, elevated bed, lights out, going, 94, 93, 92, where am I? Just like that. 
You know, when Jesus Christ returns, that's how fast his return will be. I've met people who said, you know, preacher, I'm chewing on this idea to get saved. You know, but I'll tell you what, when I hear somebody say, ready or not, here he comes, then then I'll get saved. They're not going to have a chance to even draw back their breath to say that. This is your warning right now. You say, well, I'm a believer and I, I got something not right. But, but before Jesus comes, I, I'm going to get that right. You know, when I hear, here he comes, I'm, I'm going to confess. No, this is your warning. The twinkling of an eye. And there's nothing left to fall into place for Jesus to come back even tonight, right now. Are you ready for that moment? Can you say... I'm ready for his return right now. If not, why not? You ought to get it right. You ought to get it right immediately. You see, because we are all living in the last lap. These days are so different. Many of us will be leaving in the last lap. But I want to point, this is, this is my thought tonight. Though all of us are living in the last lap, many of us, who are alive and remain, when Jesus Christ returns, you're saved. If you're alive and remain, you're going to be leaving in the last lap. Absolutely none of you tonight needs to be losing in the last lap of time. Nobody needs to be losing in the last lap of time. Could I just say this? It's bad enough to lose, but the last lap? That one just stings. You hear the cry in Galatians 5, 7, where Paul said to the Galatian believers, he said, you did run well. You were, you were doing so well, what happened? And boy, I'm the guy who gets the time-lapse photograph. Every two years or so, I'm through, I'm through. And how many times I've talked to a pastor and said, hey, what, uh, I noticed so-and-so, how are they doing? They used to sit right there, and the head goes down, and they say, you know, they're not even serving the Lord anymore. Uh, they're off on their own deal. Da-da. And I think to myself, Of all the times to quit serving Jesus Christ, not today. We're right there. The finish line is so close. This is the worst time. No time's a good time. This is just flat weird because his return's right there. It stuns me. Let's recognize the nature of the last lap. It's not in your notes, but I think this will help you because I'm a runner by I'm a runner, and the nature of the last lap, whether it's a physical lap, emotional lap, or spiritual lap, or the lap I'm preaching on tonight, they all have the same characteristics. Number one, the last lap is the most exhausting lap you'll ever experience. Could I get an amen there? Look across America tonight. Is this not exhausting? It's just exhausting. And and I want to say, if you cannot get male and female right, you're probably not going to get much else right, okay? We're way under global warming mentality here. I mean, this is like, are you kidding? Why should I trust what you say when you can't figure that one out? I'm being serious. This isn't intended to, I mean, we laugh at it because it's so silly. But God fills people with their own foolishness when they tell him off and say, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you in my nation, my home. Get. This is what happens. This is an exhausting lap, number one. Number two, the last lap, never miss this, is the most distracting lap you'll ever run. This is when the stands all light up and everybody's screaming there. There's so many voices calling. And look at all the voices calling across America today, wanting your attention, wanting your focus. It's a very distracting lap. Number three, this is big. This is the most painful and intense lap you'll ever run, the last lap. This is the one you want to quit. You with me? It's the one that hurts to run it more than any other lap. And let me just say this. If you, as an American believer tonight, think it's going to get easier to serve Jesus in this last lap of time, you are so sadly mistaken. The days of casual Christianity are gone. It is going to cost you something to serve Jesus Christ. And it's going to be painful for many of us. And in the midst of all of the pain, 
the intensity, the exhaustion, and the distractions. Here's the first thing, Christian, I address you first. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose your focus in this last lap of time. I wrote it down for you. Don't lose your focus. It's going to be so easy to lose your focus in this intense final lap. Don't lose your focus. You say, well, what's my focus? Go to Hebrews 12. And here's your and my focus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, we see the believer's focus here in these first two verses. In this last lap of time, you do not want to be losing in the last lap. And the first thing you do not want to lose is you do not want to lose your focus. Look with me in Hebrews 12 verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here's our focus. Say those next three words out loud with me in verse number two. Looking unto Jesus. Say it again. Looking unto Jesus. In this last lap of time, with all the exhaustion, all the pain, all the intensity, all the distractions, don't lose your focus. And your focus, you and I are to be looking unto Jesus. Let me tell you what he didn't say. He doesn't say looking unto the government. Could I get an amen there? He doesn't say, he doesn't say looking unto the news. Oh, got a little quieter there, but he doesn't say looking under the news. I remember for years when I first was out there, we'd been out 23 years before uh, even dumb phones were around, let alone a smartphone. My favorite thing to do on a Monday was to buy a USA Today newspaper, find a coffee shop, and I still do it. I love reading my Bible in the public arena. It's the Mars Hill of our day. This is the target-rich environment. You say, well, I never find anybody to talk to about the Lord. Go to a coffee shop. They're loaded in there, all right? Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, uh, all these health food places. This is where you want to go. I'm serious. It's a great excuse. Go. Try it. <laughs> but I would always start my week that way. I'd bring my Bible. I'd go to one of these places. I'd buy my 75 cent. Back when there was even newspapers, USA Today. People say, why USA Today? It has color. It's color. Uh, Marine Corps, we like color, you know. So, so I would sit there in the coffee shop with my um, health food and coffee, and, and I would have the Bible over here, and then I have the USA Today over here, and I'd just be bouncing between two, doing some reading. Then I'd go over here, check the business section. And one day, a guy I'd never met before, never seen since, he's got his cup of joe, and he walks along, and he stops, and he looks at my desk, and he snorts, and this is what he said. <laughs> he said, that's good news, and that's bad news. And then just walked off. I watched that coot go and I thought, you know what? He nailed it. It's so true. You know what I mean? I mean, you want bad news? Tune into the news. You know, but boy, you want good news? Tune into God's word. Amen. Somebody says, well, but you don't understand, Brother Dave. I watch a conservative network. So you're that believer that walks around like Pigpen in the Snoopy's cartoon with this attitude of anger and bitterness about all the junk going on there. You can't change. Aren't you a blessing? Yeah. He doesn't say looking under the news. He doesn't say looking under Facebook. A lot of drama there. Be careful. He, he doesn't say looking on to talk radio. He, he doesn't say looking under the markets. Has that been a ride? Some of you, when COVID hit, watched your 401 just crash. And then you pulled the money out and then it came back. Ah, you're sucking Maalocks ever since that day happened. <sighs> He says, looking unto Jesus. Now, I've got a little test for you. works every time. It works in my life. It'll work in your life. How can you tell as a believer what your ultimate focus is 
and who you're looking unto in this last lap of time. How can you tell? It's very simple. After you've gotten your shower, brushed your little toofies, and grabbed your cup of coffee, what's the first thing you reach for? Is it the TV remote to flip on and see what's going on out there in the political arena? Is it the radio, get talk radio going? Is it to look at the markets? They open at 9.30 here, Eastern time. Or do you reach for the Word of God first? Whatever you reach for first, that is your obsessive focus. That is the one you're looking unto. Try it. It works every single time. The Lord says, with all these voices crying, with all the exhausting things going on, I want you to look unto me. I don't want you to look unto all that other stuff. And when you look unto your God, the first thing you're going to find, and I want you to write this in your notes, you're going to see that your God is a sovereign God. Write that down. You're going to find when you get in the Word of God, and you focus on your Creator God, who's now your Father, you're going to see that your God is a sovereign God. Go to Daniel with me. I'm going to give you one verse on this point. In Daniel 4, go all the way back. It's a little past the middle of your Bible coming toward Revelation. It's, it's, it's after the Psalms. If you find the Psalms, push ahead toward the New Testament. The little book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 17. I want to read this out loud for you because you and I, in this last lap of time, we must have the proper focus. Look at what's said in Daniel 4, 17. He said, this matters by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know. Pause for a moment. He's talking to the living, all right? If that's you, you're alive right now. This is for you. He wants you to know something. The God of this universe wants you to know this. What does he want you, the living, to know? That the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Wow. Do you remember January 2021? One president was out, the new president was in. You remember the emotions just going everywhere, didn't matter what side of the coin you stood on, the emotions were screaming high. I came into Florida to start a meeting with a church. Pastor Patrick Jimenez, a wonderful guy. If you never met him, you would, uh, just an amazing church planter there. He's got central, younger guy, just great. We came in and he was probably his fourth year planting that church and we were kicking the year off. And I remember as we spent that four-day conference with Patrick and his wife Cammie and the church family, I did what I always do. Deb and I, we mix it up. We meet people. We talk. We like to just be out there with people. And Monday night came, and it's 20 minutes before church starts, and I'm talking to two guys in the back. One of them was a public school teacher. The other owned his own business. And it was very clear where their politics were, for one of them had a shirt that said Trump. All right? Now, don't get up and leave, and don't tune me out. Just You don't even know where I'm going with this, so just chill. And so I'm talking to these two boys. Partway in, one of them says, you know what, Brother Summerdorf? So what's that? God put Donald Trump in the White House. Yeah, 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 I believe that. You want to hear one better? Sure. God put Joe Biden in the White House. You'd have thought I punched him in the nose. I think he wanted a refund on the love offering he gave the day before. And he looked at me, started getting ready, said, how can you say that? I said, I'll tell you how I can say it. And I quoted him Daniel 4, 17, because my Bible says that God deals in the kingdoms and affairs of men. And he gives those kingdoms to whomsoever he will. And just so you know, he didn't make a mistake, even the basest of men. I said, that's my verse. What's yours? You're going you're gonna to pitch it. We'll come back. He got real quiet. 
a little more chatter. And to his credit, three, four minutes later, he said, you know what, preacher? You are right, and I am wrong. That pastor told me this conference helped reset the focus at my church. They'd stopped looking unto Jesus, and they got involved in that political arena to the extent that it literally eclipsed the God who is in charge of everything. Amen? You serve a sovereign God. Don't forget that. I want to give you some profundities, all right? Some of you say, I don't even know what that is. Fine, you'll get it. Here we go. Recognize in America, as we look at the fact our God's a sovereign God, recognize this. Christians in America, you need to recognize this. Christianity does not need to be appreciated to advance. Where do we get the idea we have to be loved to advance? I don't get that. That's never Christianity does not need to be appreciated to advance. Number two, we do not need freedom to be fruitful. Ooh, ooh. That's, a, that's a deep thought, but it's a true thought. China, underground church, so fruitful. Zero freedom. You with me? We do not need freedom. Our freedom comes from Jesus Christ. Now, God hates oppressors. You understand that. He doesn't care for oppressors, but he'll raise up oppressive nations to judge his people and judge nations, and then he judges the oppressor for oppressing. No one gets a pass. That's the history of the Old Testament. We don't need freedom to be fruitful. I wrote this one down. We do not need a seat at the table of power to persuade men and women to consider Jesus Christ. And I believe as we look across America, even tonight, the Lord has been humbling Christians in America whose hopes and petitions have been more directed toward Congress than Jesus Christ. And as God moves nations toward a pre-drawn conclusion, every nation will give their allegiance to the Antichrist. As he draws all these nations to that pre-drawn conclusion in the book of Revelation, sometimes he'll give a nation and a people a leader who's better than they deserve. We call that a space of grace. But sometimes he will give a nation and a people exactly who they do deserve. You see, if you visit heaven tonight, you will not find your heavenly father wringing his hands, worrying about no speaker in the house now, wondering which party is going to get control, who's going to be the nominee for this party or that party. He's not sucking Maalox. He's got this thing right where he wants it. We sing it, and it's true. My God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. My God reigns. If your Father in heaven is not pacing heaven, you should not, as his child, be pacing earth. He says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Who are the keepers of this country? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and what? Heal their land. The extra. The keepers of this country have never been the White House, never been the courthouse, Never been the state house. It's your house, my house, and the church house. And when the salt loses its savor and no longer is the light it ought to be, darkness is the absence of our light. We're the keepers of our country. You don't like what we have. You need to look in the mirror. You and I need to own this. This is the problem. Amen? Christian, don't lose your focus. It's not Congress, it's Jesus Christ. Our God is a sovereign God. And I wrote this in the notes. Your God and your Savior is a good and gracious God as well. Write that down. (laughs) He's a good and gracious God. 
I love, to, I love to frame him. People have said to me, that was a great sermon. I say, you want to know why it was a great sermon? Because it focused on a great Savior. Without the Savior, there's no sermon. Amen? Without him, there's no good news. Our God is a good and gracious God. Listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Our God His ending is happily forever after. Amen? Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is a a good and gracious God. Don't lose your focus in this last lap of time. But second of all, don't leave your first love. Don't leave your first love. I've shared this before, but it needs to be shared again. I remember seeing the history when D.L. Moody and many others would go to the gypsy camp and preach the truth to the gypsies, and many got saved. One became a notable preacher. His name? Gypsy Smith. Gypsy lived to about the age of 84, and late in life, preaching one of his final sermons, an elderly man came up to Gypsy after he preached, and this is what he said. Gypsy, I heard you when you were a young man. I likewise was a young man. And your love for the Lord and your passion for Jesus Christ lifted my heart. I just caused me to see him for he really was. And and Gypsy, I came to hear you one more time. We're both late in life. And Gypsy, nothing's changed. Your love for Christ is unabated. Your zeal for the Savior lifted my heart. It put me on the mountaintop. And Gypsy, what's the secret to your passion and your love for Jesus Christ? This was Gypsy's answer, and it became a song Alfred Smith wrote. He said, sir, I've never lost the wonder of it all. I've never gotten over why he saved me. I've never gotten over that day he made me his. I've never lost the wonder of it all. You remember? Do you remember those honeymoon weeks and months, maybe a year or two? He was your first thought in the morning. He was your last thought at night. He, he, you voraciously consumed the word of God. But then, over the years, something happened. Maybe it was bitterness. Maybe it was time. Maybe it was just the constant knowledge. But Jesus saves is now to you just a box that got checked. You no longer thrill to that name. You lost the wonder in the busyness of life, in the hurt that comes with this incursed earth. You lost the wonder of it all. I want to tell you something. When you meet your salvation one day, not going to be a program. Go be a person. You're going to touch him. You're going to feel him. You're going to handle him. And I don't think there's anything wrong getting alone together between you and your Savior and tell him what you think of him. And tell him how much you appreciate him. And you say, well, I, I've lost the wonder. Ask him to get you in awe again at what he did for you. When he became sin for you, this Savior who knew no sin, that you in exchange might be made the righteousness of God in him. Don't leave your first love. It's the strength of your Christian walk. He's your everything. But number three, don't forsake your faith. In this last lap of time, don't forsake your faith. Paul said that of Demas in 2 Timothy 4. He said, Demas hath forsaken me. Why would would someone forsake the apostle Paul? Why would a believer forsake their Savior? It can happen. The answer is right there. Having loved this present world. There it is. And there's our problem, Christian, in America. We aren't happy with one heaven. We want two. Like the old candy, now and later. We're glad we got later covered. 
An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We started our conference with that thought out of 1 Peter 1. Praise the Lord. But right now while I'm here, I don't want to be a vagabond. I don't want to suffer for Jesus. I want another heaven right now, and I will throw the kitchen sink at it to get it. Only a foolish person believes there's two heavens when there's only one. People say, how can I tell? Well, if all of us were to pick up right now and head to the Philippines as missionaries, going to go to the Philippines. Lots happening over there. One man said it to me this way, you can spit in the Philippines and something spiritual will grow. Carlos Sereno, Bible Baptist in San Diego. But if we all picked up and went over there, right? And we landed there, and our goal is for one year to evangelize the country of the Philippines. Could I ask a real serious question? How involved would you be as you knocked on doors and dealt with people telling them what party to vote for in their next election? What prime minister they should, or president they should go for. Y'all with me? That's not what you're there for. You're there to get them to a kingdom that'll never end. Not some temporary utopia now. Through a vote. Y'all with me? So here's my point. If when I sit and talk to you, all I hear is politics, all I hear is grousing about what's going on politically... I don't hear you tell me about the neighbor you're witnessing to, the person you're holding a Bible study with, your loved one you want to see saved. I don't hear that conversation. Then all you are is a political hack. You are not operating as a missionary in the nation God puts you. That's true. Don't get me wrong. I still vote. Men and women have died for that freedom. And I don't care for oppressors. But at the end of it, I know my ultimate vote will not be some piece of paper. It'll be my lips and my life and my feet going ahead and bringing the gospel to others. You know, I praise the Lord for Awake America and others that get up there and deal with them. But let me just say this. Even if some politician gets saved who hated Jesus but now loves them, if they get saved, their vote record changes and they'll get primaried. It's the people voting them in. That's your neighbors. you got to get the gospel to them. It's grassroots evangelism. All hands on deck. Everybody, every one of us being the salt and light right where God put us. That's God's call. It's not the preacher's job. It's not Brother Tall's job. It's you and me. That's our responsibility. Don't lose your focus. This last lap of time, it's so easy to do. Don't leave your first love. It's easy to do. And don't forsake your faith. And let me say this. If you're an unbeliever, don't lose your soul in this last lap of time. Scripture says, what shall profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Your soul's worth more than all of Elon Musk's billions. Secure it in Jesus Christ. And in conclusion, go to 2 Timothy. I want you to see something. Paul is knowing he's getting to the end of life. And this is what he says. He, he knows his departure is soon. He, he knows he's in the last lap. He's in the very last lap of life. And look at what he says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 6. Directly here to young Timothy But for every one of us, we see the heart of Paul in this race he has run for Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, he says this, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. And look at what he says, verse 7. He looks at his Christian life. He says this, I have fought a good fight. That's a soldier's statement right there. Sir, mission accomplished. Aye, aye, sir. He said, I have finished my course. That's an athlete. I ran it to the tape. I didn't stop in the middle of the race. I ran it to the finish line. And thirdly, I have kept the faith. That's an accountant or bookkeeper that kept the faith. 
I wonder tonight, can you say that in this last lap of time? I finished my course. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. A number of years ago, we met a young lady in Germany. Her name was Rachel, newly saved. 2005, our family went to Germany and preached and sang across Germany for a month and then Israel for two weeks. Her name was Rachel, newly saved. She'd come from a rough, broken home, all kinds of problems. And when she met our family, she saw the stability she wished she'd always had, and she became an unofficial adopted daughter. Same age as Kimberly. If my phone rang right now, and it was Rachel, I know a lot of Rachels. She has a special moniker, Rachel, my little wreck. That's what I call her. She calls me Dad Summerdorf. She came into every one of the kids' weddings. I officiated her wedding to Shane. We've come in to see their boys when they've been born. But I remember as a, as a soldier, she got the VA bill, and she got college paid for at a major Christian college here in America. And she called us one day, and she said, could you and Mom Summerdorf come to my graduation? I said, sure, we can, if, if the schedule, and the schedule worked. I came into that university, was sitting up in the balcony, looking down at all the graduates. There's a, the f- first 10 rows. You could tell they were all the graduating class, t- cap and gown and mortarboard, you know, everything matching. And as I'm looking at the backs of heads of all of these graduates sitting in the balcony, there was one guy that stood out like a sore thumb. All these kids in their 20s and there's one gray head sitting there with the cap and mortarboard on. And I I looked at him. He was probably in his mid-50s. And I nudged Deb and I said, what's that old coot doing here? He got in the wrong line. What in the world is up with him? He just stood out, you know, gray hair. Everybody, I'd say, what is he doing here? Well, you know how they always will invite people to come up and give a little speech, notables? valedictorians, salutatorians, none of us got that, you know. Well, of all of them, this was one of the guys. And this is what he said. He said, I imagine all of you out there today are wondering what a guy my age is doing here today, graduating. And when he said it, I looked at Deb, I said, yep, that's the question. I said, what? He said, you know, Unlike most of all of my classmates, I came to the Lord late in life. I didn't get saved till I was over 50. And people have said to me, well, old man, you know, you you don't have a lot of years left. Why'd you spend all that time going to college and spending money and and doing everything that normally an 18-year-old would do? What's up with that? Why'd you do all that? And this is what he said. He said, people have asked me, why? Why go through all this? You don't have much life left. He said, you know, for me, it's just all about finishing well. Wow. Think of your race that you've run since you got saved. You got some laps you regret? I got some laps, I think, what was I thinking? I wish I could go back and redo that one. That was just stupid. Y'all with me? Some choices you made, some things you've done. You got some laps? Y'all with me? And with those laps, poorly run, are some regrets. We shouldn't have them, but we do. And it's interesting in the race of life, you can't, like that little game, take the hourglass and flip it every time, but they only go one way. What's done is done. You can't go back and change it. But you know what I know every one of us can do from this very night forward? No matter where you are in this race, you can choose to finish well. Right now. You say, but preacher, back there, I don't care about back there. You can't change that lap from this point forward. You can drop the reins, cry to God for the only help you can get that only He can give, and by His grace, finish well. You say, what does that mean, finishing well? 
It varies with every person. For some of you tonight that aren't saved, finishing well is get saved. Amen. For some of you that are saved and you're dealing with a sin you should never deal with, finishing well is cast aside that sin and get your eyes back on Jesus. Some of you tonight, it isn't even a sin. It's just, it's not something necessarily sinful. It's just unnecessary. And you're a, you're a soldier that's tangled up. But the cares of this world, finishing well for you, is to cast that stuff aside and get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. I fought a good fight. Paul had regrets. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. We're all living in the last lap of time. Many of us will be leaving in the last lap. None of us needs to be losing in the last lap of time. May God give you grace for your race. And may you with all your heart purpose through his grace to finish well. Amen. Let's bow hearts before the Lord. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed for just a moment.